Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America Podcast. I'm J.J. Cooper along with Matt Eddy today. And celebrate everyone. This is a prospect podcast. We've been trying to bring those to you for the last month or so. We had to get rid of a computer that eight i believe it was three of them but but we're we are back and before we dive into talking prospects we're going to talk uh about some of the best teams in the minors this year and how they got there and and whether they're prospect laden or not but before we do that i I do want to remind you that we now have available the baseball america digital edition and the new digital edition brings you the magazine on the go no longer do you have to wait by the mailbox for the latest issue arrive because every two weeks you'll be notified by email that your new digital edition is available to download Visit www.baseballamerica.com slash subscribe and get it for as low as $1.76 per issue. But, And I have to say, as someone who uses the digital edition, it is, it is nice to have that around. You, you, I, I still love the print product, but at the same time, having the magazine on the web is a, uh, a wonderful advance as well. But today we want to talk prospects. And really, again, we, we haven't had one of these prospect podcasts in in a little longer than we would like. So I, I guess I'll just open it up to you, Matt. Like, what has really kind of stood out to you? What, you know, in, what is something that, that sticks in your mind as far as first couple of months of season now that you say, hey, you know, this team or this player has has improved their stock to you? Well, I, I know what organization has improved its stock. Uh, that would be the Royals, calling up, calling on all these guys and, finding that many of them are ready to compete and succeed in the big leagues already. Yeah. And that advances their timetable. You, you're Mr. Kansas City Royals. Uh, how many more of these guys do you expect to see this season? Well, I think you figure that Moustakis is not too far away. And the interesting thing with that with that is is that, now Wilson Bediment's not very good defensively, but Wilson Bediment has hit this year. And so they have, at the big league level, a third baseman who is being productive. So it's not necessarily that they have a need at third base, but it, it comes into that. Hey, Wilson Bediment, it makes a whole lot of sense that at some point this year they would trade Bediment to someone who needs a bat mm-hmm. and bring up Moustakis. So I, I figure at some point Moustakis comes up and is their third baseman. And then I, I think beyond that, I, I think the, the spot's there for Mike Montgomery to come up at some point, but I think he has to show... Danny Duffy had done enough to show, okay, he's ready to come up. I don't think you could really say that necessarily with Montgomery yet. Montgomery, the, the real question was, okay, is the command at that level yet? And with Duffy it is. I don't know necessarily you can say that with Montgomery yet, so it still may be a little while before he comes up. I think I, I think that the Royals face a uh, uh, an interesting decision in the next month or two. We're getting ready to come into June now. June, July, that's really usually the time that the teams that are out of it trade away pieces to, to get better for the future, and that's something that the that the Royals, I thought, did pretty well last year. They picked up Tim Collins, for one, in mm-hmm. a uh, deadline deal direct trade and and really didn't give up a whole lot to, to do that. But So now the question is, is they're a little bit better than they thought they would be at this point, but 
I think it would be a mistake on their part if they didn't still trade away some of those guys who are heading towards free agency. There's pretty much pretty much everyone on the team, short of Joaquin Soria and Billy Butler, if they're a veteran enough <laughs> to be a free agent, they're hitting free agency at the end of the year. So if a team out there really wants Jeff Rancourt, and I don't know if that's going to happen, or, or really wants Melky Cabrera, if I'm the Royals, I'm not holding on to those guys because they're the Royals are sitting around 500. But they they may make a, a different decision on that. The, the, it'll be interesting to see, though, because Moustakas and Montgomery are the obvious ones, but you Will Myers, maybe we would have been talking about, but he's had a knee injury. He's missed some time. Hey, you mentioned Myers, and that's interesting. Um, after we saw the assault that Eric Hosmer and Moustakas uh, had with Double uh, A Northwest Arkansas last year, you find that their upper echelon guys like Myers and Christian Cologne aren't hitting no. quite, quite as well as their predecessors did there. No, and that's that's the interesting. I, I know in talking to the Royals officials last year. Even though Mike Moustakas' splits, that his home road splits last year when he was in the Texas League were insane. I mean, it was you could fit, you could fit an Alcides Escobar in between, you know, his OPS in between the the gap. <laughs> but that being said, the Royals really argued that they thought that it wasn't as extreme as the splits may have made it seem. And a lot of their argument for that was, is go back to previous years. This hasn't been, mm-hmm. this hasn't been another Coors Field. Well, this year you could make the argument that it's playing a little bit more like normal, or you could make the argument that Myers, who again battles some injuries in Cologne, just aren't tearing it up. I mean, you can kind of argue it either, either way you want. The other team, I, as far as on the minor league level, a team, to me a team that really has taken a, a step forward, has a number of prospects having really good seasons, is, is one of the ones that you do. I, what do you think about how, what the Padres have done this year at the minor league level? Well, you know... Um... Go back one year, and Anthony Rizzo, the first baseman in AAA, and, and Jed Giorco, their uh, third baseman in high A, weren't even in the organization. And adding those two guys, who have, you know, are their top ten in the minors in OPS right now, both those guys, it's made a big difference. But yeah. if you go down to that San Antonio team in AA, in the same league that uh, the Royals AA affiliates in, and they're kind of playing like Northwest Arkansas did last year. Just a crazy number of runs being scored in San Antonio. They had an 11 homer game there this year, <laughs> which is just unheard of. I mean, in, in the context of that league last year, San Antonio was the most difficult park to homer in in the entire league. Well, now, now here's a question I'll ask with that. How much of that do you think depends on if you have, like, I, we're talking, when we talk about sample size, I know when you talk about a team in general, you're, you're talking about not a particularly small sample size, but if you have a really good lineup, and maybe that lineup just for some reason feels you know, they they get on a nice hot streak at home at at some point. Can that still uh, you know we're especially in a league where we're talking about what Texas League's uh, eight eight team yeah. league? Can that be? Uh, I mean, can that almost be explained away in some ways by you know just the quirks of schedule and and small sample size? I think in a lot of ways it can. I mean, San Antonio traditionally plays that way, but in the minor leagues, it's not the same. Uh, there's there's not. <laughs> Like in in the major leagues, you can count on a certain level of right. of quality, but I don't think you can count on that even no, in Double A. I, I I've thought that before, thinking about teams it's like, hey, this team's looking statistically looks really good, but then you look at it, it's, like, it's not balanced schedules. No. And so, if you happen to fall where you face, say, two teams in your of your pod, because in a lot of leagues there's 
pods because for travel reasons. So mm-hmm. you're going to play certain teams, you know, 25 times a year, 24, 20, 24, I guess would be more accurate. Usually it's usually an even number or whatever, but you're going to play a certain number of teams a lot. And then a lot of other teams a little bit. Well, if you happen to be matched up that in your region is three poor pitching teams or three really good hitting teams, that can really affect the statistics because you're right. It's not if, – if if one half of the Texas League is filled with mashers and the other half is filled with kind of you know lighter hitting, less prospect-laden teams, that won't necessarily even out over the league over the course of a year because it's it's – it's a pretty dramatic difference. I know. You talk about 24 games against one opponent, that's nearly 20% of a schedule. Right. And, and if you're facing, like if you're a pitching staff who's facing the San Antonio team this year, well, that's going to be a difference than if you're facing uh, a lighter hitting lineup. Or, you know, you see that kind of league in, league out. There's, I, I do wonder if that's something that we do overlook a little bit sometimes. It's like, okay, well, even as a league, I mean, we know, you know, you can look at it and it's like, wow, the Carolina League's really stacked this year or – the Carolina League's pretty bereft of talent this year. It kind of goes back and forth depending on where the talent is in, in different organizations. But but that leads us into one thing we, we wanted to talk about today, which is uh, uh, just looking at some of the teams that have gotten off to really good starts. And I, we're going to talk on a couple other teams beyond this, but I, I will throw out first. So here's the top five, at least as, as I'll pull today, the top five teams in the minor leagues right as of uh, May 27th by winning percentage. Daytona's first off with a 750 winning percentage, followed by you've got Burlington and the Burling the Loway Burlington, uh, not the rookie ball. They're not playing yet, but Loway Burlington. The Daytona's a Cubs affiliate. Loway Burlington, which is an A's affiliate in the Midwest League, is a 702, as well as uh, the Indians' AAA affiliate in Columbus, is 702 winning percentage. And then you're looking at uh, that San Antonio, that Padres AA team we talked about, is at 674, and then New Hampshire, the uh, Blue Jays AA affiliate, is at 652. Now, to put you on the spot a little bit, of those five teams, you know, you can win with prospects, you can win without prospects in the minor leagues, but which of those, is there a team of those that, that stands out to you? And then I'll ask you also, is there a team not on that list that stands out to you as far as being a prospect-laden group? Okay, um, you know, for prospect performance, I always like the teams doing it at the highest level. And uh, the fact that Columbus, the Indians affiliate, has been good all year. They've won, they won the entire AAA level last year, and and they're back again. And they're, they ha- put it this way: their offense leads the International League in average on base, slugging, home runs, walks, everything. I mean, it's just a very well-oiled machine. It's like the, the big, it's like the small red machine. <laughs> <laughs> the small red, I like that. But and the thing about this is, and they're doing that. What's impressive is they're doing that with prospects. You've got Lonnie Chisholm Hall's the third baseman. Mm-hmm. You've got Jason Kipnis as the second baseman. And I'm interested, really interested in what they've done with Cord Phelps. I know. Cord Phelps is now the shortstop. Yep, on most days. I mean, he's still playing third and second when the, when those become available, but playing shortstop. Those aren't available very often. Playing shortstop most of the time. And and those three players are, in fact, the, the offensive uh, core of that team. And and what's what's more encouraging, I think, for Chisholm Hall and for Kipnis is – those are probably the softest spots on the major league team too. Right. So it, it, it's interesting. The Indians are having an uh, amazing season from the standpoint of I think if you were an Indians fan going into this year, you you wouldn't have wished for what the Indians have done in the first couple of months of the season. I don't think that I think you would have said that's asking for too much. <laughs> so I mean, they've been really good at the major league level, and, and the interesting thing to go along with that is is you're talking about 
they have this dominant team at AAA, but not as just a dominant team because you can dominate AAA sometimes with uh, a group of thirty, you know, thirty-plus-year-old guys. They're doing it with guys who, yeah, Chisholm Hall at some point this season could be their third baseman at the big league level. I think mm-hmm. you could probably say the same about Kipnis at second, could you not? Mm-hmm. I think so. He's twenty-four years old. He's hit, you know, hit his way up into and and Phelps the. The thing that Phelps has done this year, Phelps was kind of a guy who seemed like he came out not out of nowhere. I mean, he is a Stanford product. This isn't a guy who just showed up as an undrafted free agent or something. But but Phelps had such a standout year last year. But the profile was going to be a little difficult because he was a second baseman, third baseman in a system that had Lonnie Chisenhall and Jason Kipnis. Mm -hmm. But that ability to play shortstop kind of, even if he can do that, probably not an everyday shortstop, but if he can do that as a, as a, he can be a fill in it short, that all of a sudden makes him a potentially very valuable utility man, it would seem like to me. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Switch hitter. He's yeah, got, which is he, a big advantage. Because, got, got some power, yeah. You know, and, play, uh, play pretty much anywhere now. I mean, you know, and, and that Columbus uh, pitching staff is, you know, it's it's probably average or a little t- or a tick below, but they do have a couple of, of arms you're going to want to watch. Um, Nick Hagedone, hard-throwing lefty. He just, just promoted up there not long ago, and and uh, Zach Putnam is a is a good ground ball right hander. Those two guys might see some time in Cleveland right. this year. Ha- Hagedon is a guy we we see this a lot, but there's a whole lot of pitchers that hit when they're in A ball double or hit double A hmm. as starters who that scouting report is maybe you know maybe better as a reliever, and then when they finally do move, you know even even in the off season they were still talking about with him about whether he was going to be a starter this year or a reliever. They decided to go with him in the pen and. It's worked out quite well for him up to now as far as he does seem to be taking a, a significant step forward. Mm-hmm. It does it, – to, to put it best, the best way is, is if you are a power pitcher with uh, questionable secondary stuff or a little bit questionable command, moving to that pen often can be the thing that really just makes That's you right. take off. That's right, yeah. It's, it's one of the reasons we rank relievers normally a little lower because it, it is – you don't want to say it's an easier job, but it is an easier job than trying to get guys out three times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But – um, what other, you know, so that that Columbus team stands out to you, but I, is that to? I I know we talked about it a little bit before the uh, the the podcast. That's not the team that stands out to you prospect wise, though, is it? Like if you're talking about prospects, who's the the team you like the best? Well, um, that would be uh, high class A Clearwater, the Phillies, uh, Florida State League affiliate. This is the same. Uh, a lot of these players are the same guys who were on last year's uh, low A uh, Lakewood team. Stack team. <laughs> uh, you know. From, from the offensive side of things, you've got uh, Jonathan Singleton. Outfielder Jonathan John, Singleton. Outfielder Jonathan Singleton. Uh, but really, th- this club is about the pitching. You've got uh, Brody Colvin and Jared Kosar and Trevor May all in that rotation. Uh, the, the Phillies love their power arms. Let's just say if the Phillies wanted to go out and get a major league piece this year, they could pretty much get whoever they wanted by dangling two, two or more of these players. Right, and, and that team... <laughs> I feel it's safe to say that there will be a lot of scouts watching that team in the uh, weeks leading up to the trade deadline because (laughs) there are a whole lot of potential trade pieces there. And really, uh, we mentioned Singleton. They're putting Singleton in the outfield this year because Ryan Howard is a first baseman at the big league level. That's Singleton's best position. And and the reality of it is is that Ryan Howard's not going anywhere, and Jonathan Singleton, they're going to try to find out if he can play left field. Well, that also does mean, though, he could potentially be a trade piece as well, although in his case he's not exactly having the uh, the follow-up season that the Phillies would want up to now. Mm-hmm. Hasn't shown the power this year. I, I think he had a stretch of like a three-week stretch where he didn't have an extra base hit. Hmm. Um, but 
Juwan James is on that team as well, who, if you're looking for tools, he, he's a... I was talking to a scout about Singleton, and he said the, one of the things he said is, is, "Well, he's not that great out there, but you know what? If you got Juwan James in center, hmm. it, it makes it a lot, uh, it makes it work out a lot better because James can cover up a lot of uh, of problems. But that those three those three power arms you just talked about, Cozart, May, you know, they're just that's that's where this team jumps out. Is uh, Cozart, May, Colvin? Which one? If you you know, gun to your head, which one would you? Which one do you like the most? Well, we we ranked Colvin and Kosar back to back. I guess uh, Colvin's a little more traditional. If 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 Kosar maybe has the better early season results. Yeah, I, I don't think, know. I'm gonna I'm gonna trust Matt Foreman and go with uh, Brody Colvin, which is, which is who that. he ranked ahead. I can see that, and I think the big reason for that is is Kosar, the delivery's maybe not as clean. Correct. Not that it's a bad delivery, but not as clean a delivery as Colvin's, mm-hmm. and with it not being as clean. It, you don't want to get too hung up on that, but it does. That's one of the things that really, the the higher you go up the levels, that stands out more and more. And the the reason that <laughs> that scouts want to see a clean delivery is is that generally a clean delivery equals better command than mm-hmm. something that's a little. I, I, I just finished reading uh, Dollar Sign on the Muscle, the yeah, great, the great, great book about scouting, you, uh, and, and and a podcast uh, little plug here that we'll get no money for, but if you. If you're if you are interested in what we're talking about now, and you can find a copy of Dollar Sign of the Muscle, go get Dollar Sign of the Muscle. There's a great scouting axiom in there. A guy talking about uh, pitchers' deliveries. He's, uh, the thinking went: clean delivery. Those guys tend to get better. Not so clean. Well, they stay well, about the same. Well, it's interesting. So I went to a, a Mudcat. I mean, a, yeah, Carolina Mudcats game on Sunday. Double A Mudcats versus Chattanooga Lookouts. So not a whole lot of prospects on the field that day. Uh, Kyle Russell, who's had a Pretty monster week is number two on our hot sheet this week. Mm-hmm. Was there, but the pitcher, the starting pitcher for the the Dodgers was Nadia Ovaldi, who runs it up there. I, and that I was not there. I was there with a group, and so we, I didn't have a gun with me. I was not downstairs, but the stadium gun, which can be a little optimistic, but it had him up to 98 at times. I, I believe it's pretty safe to say he was sitting mid 90s at least, uh, pretty consistently. But but you watched <laughs> watching his delivery. You look at it and you can't help but go, okay, I don't, I just don't know if this guy can be a big league starter. And he's got, it's not that it's not possible, but, but he had like Ivaldi in his case, he had what uh, scouts like to call a, a hook. He had, a, you know, he, as he brought the ball out of his glove, he brings his arm back down low, twists it, and kind of hooks the ball, and then he has to bring it up. He has to kind of. Mm-hmm. And he brings it up in in his delivery. Well, picks up the continuous circular motion. Right. He, it's 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 got a hook. It really, in his case, what scouts like to call a dice roll. It's got it almost. <laughs> he almost like imagine a guy holding a uh, a pair of dice behind his back and kind of shaking him a little bit. Yeah. Well, the reason that scouts worry about something like that is is it becomes a lot tougher to repeat your delivery consistently mm-hmm. if you do that. The more moving parts you have in your delivery the more potential problem spots you have and the tougher it is to say, okay, I want to hit this pinpoint spot over and over. Well, I, you know, again, I'm not a scout. I always try to preface that, but watching that was hard not think, okay, this guy could end up being a, a power arm out of the pen where the demands on command are a little bit less, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, it, I think, and I'm not saying that, I don't think you can say that with Cozart yet, but it is something that his delivery is not necessarily as clean or maybe as repeatable. As, uh, as as Colvin, and by the way, I want to plug that we do have a Jared uh, Cozart feature going up right. on the website. 
if it's not already up already. Yeah, going up very shortly. So uh, keep an eye on that. Cozart also did make our, our prospect hot sheet uh, this week, yeah. and he's been having a, a pretty amazing month. Uh, mm-hmm. I think this maybe is, if I remember right, this is his second appearance in the hot sheet this month, I believe, because he's been he's been pretty lights out for them. Mm-hmm. And and May May's the guy who's fasting just because it's really a question of can he get back if he shows that he's healthy and can kind of stay healthy for a hundred plus innings. I think you can put him right there with those other two guys. Mm-hmm. It, it the Phillies when it comes to pitching they're 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 doing okay. They're definitely doing okay. Um, now the interesting thing with this is that we did talk about though is is that you can succeed with prospects or you can succeed necessarily not necessarily with elite prospects. The Daytona Club, which has the best record in the minors, and the Cubs by the way have the best overall organization record in the minors um, mm-hmm. because their they're double A club uh, is a pretty solid club. Mm-hmm. But you look at that Daytona club, it's not necessarily uh, this, a group of elite prospects. In fact, I'd actually say probably that uh, the Tennessee group, which was last year's Daytona guys in most cases, mm-hmm. was probably more prospect-laden than the group that's, that's winning all the time here. I, I, think, I think it's been a good year for the Cubs organization as far as on the field at the minor league level, but I would look more to that Tennessee group to be the one that you're saying, okay, these are where the prospects were going to help you. And don't forget Starlin Castro, who is double-A aged. Yeah, double-A aged <laughs> just happens to be in but his you know, second, second year you know, in, in the majors. Which, by the way, I did He's see incredible. the SI cover boy a couple of weeks ago, Starlin Castro. Which, Although that feature did say, I, I love that. It's like, you know, how rare it is for a guy just to appear out of nowhere in the majors now. It's like, Starlin Castro didn't appear out of nowhere. <laughs> I mean, he was he was a prospect. He wasn't someone who just showed up in the big leagues and you go, oh, well, this guy's pretty good. He is amazing. Uh, but that that double A team has Brett Jackson, a very well rounded uh, outfield. I prospect. think that's the best way to put Brett Jackson. Brett Jackson is as well rounded as they come. There's not a whole lot of blow you away things there, but there's a whole lot of things that he's very good at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trey McNutt, one of one, of, one of your uh, I don't know what you would call it, one of your personal cheese balls yes. from last year. Yeah. Uh, I'm a I'm a Trey Mc fan definitely. Uh, Josh Vitters mixed reviews and 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 Ben Bather got some of those those reviews and uh, expressed them in a, uh, a feature earlier this year when he talked to scouts about this seeing this team. Yeah, no, I, I think with Vitters the real question is is <laughs> it's not like there's different levels of uh, it's, of pitch recognition with with Vitters it's not this problem where he strikes out. 30%, 35% of his bats or anything like that. He doesn't strike out. But it's something that Mike Moustakis went through a little bit too when he was in high A. Mm-hmm. Vitters makes a lot of bad contact because he's got a good enough hand-eye to get the bat on pitcher's pitches. Mm-hmm. And at some point, you got to make some adjustments there. And the problem for Vitters is, is he has not made that adjustment in multiple years now. It's almost like uh, a right-handed hitting, maybe a less defensive version of Sean Burroughs. You know, right, who we saw, who's back, uh, who's know, back in the major big leagues. leaguer, Sean Burroughs. That, that's a, that's an amazing career that Sean Burroughs has had there. So, is Vitter's going to get those same opportunities without the defensive acumen and without the lefty bat? I don't know. He's got the draft status. I was going to say, we'll I, see. And I think he's actually an organization that 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 likes to promote their prospects. I, you know, many of the problems that you could say with him, I, I, he he's not the athlete that that. Uh, that Brody Colvin was, but uh, but he is, you know, same kind of pitch recognition or same kind of issues like the strikeout and walk 
a lot of contact. You wish he would be a little more selective. Um, and they gave uh, uh, Tyler Colvin, sorry. Tyler they gave, Colvin. Yeah, they gave Tyler Colvin uh, basically a full season last year, and he mm-hmm. did pretty well. This year, not so well. This, this year <laughs> is kind of that return that makes you worry a little bit about whether he's going to have long-term success. But they did give him every opportunity. Um, the, the guy, though, who's who's kind of, I think, taken a step forward for that Tennessee club is Ryan Flaherty, who's mm. had really a, a a pretty strong year right now. I think he's in double digits and homers mm-hmm. already. And it's interesting. They have two guys in that team who, when it comes to positions, are essentially the same guy, DJ LeMayhew and Ryan Flaherty, who both are kind of second baseman, third baseman types. And LeMayhew's better defensively, I think, but at the same time, the question with LeMayhew is, is he's not going to hit for power, it doesn't look like. Flaherty's got the powers. Can he handle the positions defensively? And, and lefty bat, too. Yeah. That, kind of, it's like the modern-day Mike Fontenot or something. Yeah, well, you know, and... <laughs> with power. <laughs> yeah, with, with, with power. And that's that's a, that's not a bad thing. That's not no, a bad... No, no, I like that's not a bad combo. But, so, it is... That is an interesting team. You know, it's funny. I, again, Daytona is the one that has the, the, the gaudy winning percentage, but not that Tennessee's not that bad, if I remember right, but... Yeah, Tennessee is uh, sixth, currently. Yeah, so that's... So that's, hey... The the Cubs in general, if you have two teams in the top six mm-hmm. in the minors, that you're you mean that means that people you are having players having very successful seasons. You know that much because you you can't be putting up a 750 winning percentage like their Daytona club is without guys. That means you're going to have a couple of guys on that team emerge. You you know that much at least. They they may not be top ten prospects, but I feel pretty confident there's some guys who are going to end up in the back at least in the 15 to 20 range because of that. Mm-hmm. But you know we've We've covered about 30 minutes now, or coming up on 30 minutes of the uh, of the first prospect podcast in, in way too long. And again, we, we do apologize on that. We do want to remind you, as, as usual, that if you uh, have questions for us, you can send them to podcast at baseballamerica.com. You can also uh, hit us on a Twitter feed, you know, at Baseball America, or in my case, JJCoop36. Matt, yours is? Uh, Twitter. On Twitter. Uh, it's at Eddie MK, E-D-D-Y-M-K. And then also you can also uh, you know post it to our we will, we, next time we have a podcast we'll post to our Facebook you can ask questions there as well Baseball America on, on Facebook we we try to kind of keep uh, keep you up to date with both on the Twitter side and the Facebook side of, of what's going on the the big thing going on to let you know as as a listener we'll have I believe we'll probably have another draft podcast next week. Uh, next week's the week leading up to the draft so we're we're not far away now we're recording this on. On Friday, May 27th, and by two Mondays from now, we will be deep in the uh, in the midst of draft coverage yeah. and getting ready for – we're rolling out states right now. I think we have Texas and Florida up. By the end of next week, we hope to have all 50 states as well as Puerto Rico and, and Canada up. So that's that's basically – that's you're going to talk about scouting reports on over 300 players and rankings of, I would say, at least well over 500. I know – between Texas and Florida right now, which we have up, we've ranked we've ranked 250 players in those two states alone, and did write-ups on I believe 125 in those two states alone. So, just give you an idea of of how much draft coverage you can get at, at BaseballAmerica.com, and and we're pr- happy to say also that come come the first round on MLB Network, we will have uh, our own Jim Callis will be on there again. I think he'll be actually working the big board this year. They're going to have a. Uh, they're gonna have the BA Top 200 Big Board, and he'll be uh, 
Really? He'll be working that with the uh, the touchscreen, much like uh, <laughs> like uh, Mel. You know, I don't think he has his Mel gel like uh, Mel Kiper <laughs> Jr. does, but he will be working the touchscreen there. Wow. So, so we want to we we have a lot to uh, look forward to. Also, I keep saying that you know that that's part of it. And also, if you're interested in college baseball, come Monday. Memorial Day is never a holiday here for uh, for some of us at Baseball America because Memorial Day is also the day where they announce the uh, the NCAA uh, tournament field for the for for college baseball. So we'll have all the analysis on that next week as well as we get into the the biggest part of the college baseball season and the road to Omaha. It's it's a busy time right now. Yeah. And then once we get that done, we will start uh, thinking about midseason update and the short uh, season leagues begin. Short season leagues begin. We'll start. Pre- you know, we, before long, we're going to be having a futures game meeting to help try to put together futures game rosters. I'm sure. And and not long after that, we'll start working on our uh, our midseason update as far as the top hundred and how the prospects are looking. So, a lot of good stuff coming up. Uh, but we do appreciate your patience, and it's been a while since we had one of these prospect podcasts. We we promise it will not be this long again till we have another one. So for Matt Eddy, I'm uh, J.J. Cooper, and, and thank you for listening. Thanks for the download. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.